from Rixie. This is Frameform. Hello and welcome to another Wednesday of Frameform. I'm glad to be here today, Jen, Claire. I'm glad to see you two today. I'm so glad to see you. Always a pleasure. I'm getting to the point where I'm just happy to just see faces now and just, you know, see, I don't know. I'm I'm just in one of those moods right now. (laughs) Routine in general is just kind of nice that we have like this ritual every week that we get together. We have a conversation, you know, it's I am someone who likes rituals and routines. I think that's, you know, like the dancer in me every week we go to dance class and in this case every week we get together and we get to just talk about the things that we like to talk about true that well and this week we finally decided to talk about a topic that kind of comes up when we talk about films in general and when we talk about dance in general but it's something that we're kind of picking as a lens through which to look at things today, which is costumes and design. So it's going to be a pretty packed episode. We're going to talk about a few films that we highly recommend you watch that are, of course, linked in the show notes. And we also have an interview with Rodrigo Rocha Campos from Vancouver, B.C. So all that today and more. Well, before we hop into this juicy episode, Claire, Jen, have you been watching anything anything new lately? Maybe not new or just like out of your comfort zone. What have you been watching in general? I don't know. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Have either of you seen the movie Baccarat? No. No, but it sounds like I would like it. Is it Portuguese? Is it Brazilian film? It's Brazilian, actually. All right. Yeah. It was, um, it's insane, first of all. It's (laughs) now I feel like I should have seen it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing, not only as a film, but also like as a process it's a very confrontationally like socially conscious film like it's about this village in uh, rural brazil whose like matriarch dies and then the village suddenly realizes that the village is now off the gps map and that they can't find it anymore oh i can't spoil it i mean i can't reveal any more details without spoiling it completely but it's a very engaging film it feels like every genre film of the 70s kind of mixed into one Okay. And it also doubles as some very, not only interesting social commentary, but also socially conscious way of making film. So, Well, the night is young, so I might just have to watch that literally tonight. How do I not know about this? I bet my brothers do. I bet my mom's already seen it. But I'm very glad <laughs> to finally be getting hip to this. That sounds awesome. When did awesome. this film come out? Uh, 2019. Okay. So yeah, it came out 2019. I think it was going to be released in theaters in the U.S. in 2020, but you know all what happened Mm. there. (laughs) But yeah, the film's on Criterion. It's also on several other streaming services. Highly recommended. Fantastic. I'll have to take a look-see there. What about you, Hannah? Watching anything golden? You know, actually, I finally got around to watching a film that has been on my list for quite a while. Citizen Kane. Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, I saw, I watched Philomena the other night, which is, it was actually nominated for an Oscar in 2013. I think that was like, it was in the runnings with Wolf of Wall Street that year. And I remember writing all the films that I wanted to watch and that was actually on there. And um, there's some moments that take place in DC. So that's always fun to see like your city that you're 
currently living in and like where exactly it is like i got coffee there once yeah like (laughs) it, it, it mostly takes place in ireland but yeah there's some moments in dc but it's a really uh really good compelling story about a woman finding her basically her long lost son who was taken away from her from the nuns when she was pretty much kind of like an orphan living there and um but she basically the reason why the nuns took her child away is because uh, she had premarital sex and you know and it was a it's actually a true story and the beginning of it is very very um alarming just because of the way that she was treated in ways I thought it was a really really good story um and usually I'm not someone that's going for the story (laughs) I'm more about all the other components like how's the editing in this film I want to watch whiplash yeah like I want (laughs) to see something like really dynamic and all of that where this one was very screenplay oriented and you know I definitely recommend it it's a great movie um it's on netflix if you care to watch it wait that has uh dame judy dench in it right yes judy dench and uh steve coogan are the central characters one of my favorite imdb finds is this like hippie ass version of a midsummer night's dream from like 1968 dame judy dench plays uh titania and it's been like this crazy bikini thing Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. And Helen Mirren and Diana Rigg are like the what what are their names? I don't remember the I'm stunned. They play themselves and that's perfect for this. Helena and Hermia, <laughs> that's what I meant. <laughs> wow. So. I need to see that cuz it's funny. I've always watched Judy Dench as an older lady. I've never really watched anything of her younger. So I'm I'm interested in just seeing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've She's one of those actresses that you kind of have always seen kind of frozen in time or at a certain decade and later just because of our age and like, you know, how old she was when we were born and when we started watching and recognizing her in things. It's funny how we can see people as like frozen in time. Like Betty White's another example. I watched a documentary about her life and she kind of looked the same when she was younger, just brown hair instead. But yeah, just another one of those frozen in time figures that. I mean, but Betty, Betty White's not a dame. Right, right. Yeah. I guess, I guess with the exception of Cats, Dame Judi Dench kind of has looked the same in every film I've seen over the last decade or so. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The joke that Ricky Gervais made at Golden Globes about her just, like, ruined. I, I'm I'm upset you brought up Cats, Claire. I'm going to be honest. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, but. I regret well, it. I don't think anyone needs to see it. <laughs> I think I kind of have to, though. I do enjoy movies that are like, I love a good Nicolas Cage movie. You know, <laughs> something that is so bad that it makes it good or enjoyable all over again. I remember Frameform season one, the film that I talked about that randomly I had watched was The Witches. And that October, Mm. the new Witches came out and a whole new generation got to appreciate this kind of camp and like crazy design and story. And I actually didn't see the new one, but, you know, I kind of feel that way about movies sometimes. I'd almost rather watch like the Dolly Parton Christmas musical or something that is a complete (laughs) mess because at the end of the day, I am going to over-intellectualize and be so stimulated by so many things that sometimes I just got to put on something really silly. 
Yeah. Silly keeps you sane. So as we've tried to mention every week, you can find all of our featured discussion topic films on the show notes. You know where that uh, little info is. You know, you just scroll down and there you go. There's all the stuff that we talk about. But other than that, we're talking about three different films today. Today, we're going to start with a music video, Love Songs for Robots, which is featuring Patrick Watson's music. And this music video is focusing on Bauhaus ballet. This has definitely been a, uh, a trending video on the internet. I, I think it, when it resurfaced on YouTube or something, <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember seeing dancers just like posted all the time because of its very elaborate yet strange structural sculpted outfits. I wouldn't even call it an outfit. It's just more of just like a piece of art that they're wearing. It's like a teacup grew legs and arms and a yeah. head. I think one reason the video surfaced was I think 2020 was the hundred like the 100th anniversary of like the founding of the Bauhaus movement. So maybe that's oh, one okay. reason that um, the video surfaced again. Hashtag relevant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's why that's what everybody remembered 2024. Just yeah, yeah. That was like the main takeaway from 2020 was the (laughs) 100th anniversary of uh, the Bauhaus movement. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, with all that said, directed by Chris Lavis and Massey Stravalsky, Love Songs for Robots uh, is, you know, their interpretation of of Bauhaus's Oscar Schlemmer's ballet but I feel like this one has more emotion you know when you're originally watching the Oscar Schlemmer version which is a very long you know it's like what is it 30 minutes of a ballet and it's all recorded which is very revolutionary for its time you don't see that right so in this case there's definitely a little bit more going on with the edit we have close-ups of dancers' faces. So the fact that this song is called Love Songs for Robots, I think is appropriate for this ballet because the ballet itself originally, they look like robots. They don't have emotion at all. And Patrick Watson's song definitely gives it a little bit more dimensionality to what maybe this robot or this dancer is going through at its time. What do you guys think when you watch this piece? Besides the costume, I'm just saying, like, I I know we're talking about, like, this episode is talking about costumes, but I think there's another surface part in this scenario because, like, yes, we are stimulated by the costume itself, but in this case, because of its history, it's unloading this other emotion that is going on outside of the costume. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it does work as a nice homage to um, these principles of the Bauhaus movement and specifically like this idea, I mean, it didn't originate with the Bauhaus movement of Gesamtkunstwerk, which is like the total work of art and that everything in the story really contributes to the work as a whole. But yeah, as you mentioned, Hannah, it's done in a very quirky and very personable kind of way, like as opposed to like these abstracted figures of, of a moving body, like you really get a sense of the the humanity and it gets a sense of the personality 
of the body too. And it really is through the interaction of the body with the costume. I also want to mention the choreographer and uh, performer here, uh, Miss Daya Hemingway, who is uh, based in Canada. But yeah, I want to shout out her movement material too, because that uh, really is a good example of how a thoughtful use of the costume can bring so much to the image as a whole, like even just a move of the hips or even like very, very subtle movement that she does, even like the Asia Pay she does, has reverberations throughout the entire body because of that costume and really brings another dimension to that movement. And trying to dance or choreograph or direct someone to dance in this costume could be a complete mess because this does not look comfortable (laughs) at all. I mean, point shoes aside, um, (laughs) you know, but the headpiece, the thick paint, the fact that her elbows probably didn't go down near her ribs for... yeah over an hour like I don't even know if she could looking at the size costume like could you pull your arms through that and get a break maybe not so just the incredible athleticism of her as a performer um to actually execute this performance as well major kudos um and of course portraying this convincing love story with this cute little c-3po dryer ball looking thing (laughs) I find it fascinating I mean like the three of us are dancers and there's probably like a lot of people that are not familiar with this ballet I wonder what their minds are going through when they first see this like I mean it, it is a very historically relevant piece of work but you know it's not it's not something new and I think the fact that we're taking an homage to it is really nice, um, especially in bringing that second level of emotion. I mean, the moment where um, this like bird looking thing comes out of the CP3O robot ball thing that Jen has mentioned, you know, and then it just like her face turns red. I, I think, you know, there were you know, elevating special effects in that moment but yeah I'm wondering what others who are not familiar with this work were thinking well I think that the work of the Bauhaus movement has kind of taken several different evolutions over the last I mean really over the last century since it was founded and initiated and I think that it's at the point where even if people don't really recognize the Bauhaus movement or if like this even if what she's wearing doesn't necessarily signify Bauhaus specifically, it does signify other things that we've seen culturally over the years. Like, I mean, one of the associations I had watching it was actually one of Bill Forsyth's works. I think it was the thrilling, Mm. I never can say this word, like the something thrill of exactitude, something like that where like Sylvie Guillem's wearing like one of those circular tutus. And I think that that, like seeing how those paths have, I mean, in some ways have, been recontextualized in other contexts. I think that it's not only an homage to the original movement, but a sort of a love letter to what has evolved from it since. Well, in this film, we could have talked about it in our music video episode as well. We chose to talk about today for costumes because the striking design elements. But honestly, this is a great example of internet social media culture and YouTube music video kind of mandated standout content for artists, you know, coming together to produce this really cool artistic screen dance, you know, because 
this is a film that I think if someone has no interest in dance in particular, is not trying to watch a dance film, they would probably stop scrolling to look at this. I think it's visually very striking. And even if you don't know what you're looking at specifically, like I'm sure there's a lot of people that look at this and like have no idea what Bauhaus is. And like even afterwards, like don't make the connection and just look, oh, like there's that cool video. And I think that's the power of really good design and production value is it will attract any person like to stop, especially now to cut through the noise and to stop and to watch. Yeah. And that is a, a huge challenge that I think a lot of people face when they're going to make their own projects. How do I, with a limited budget and resources and, you know, limited experience sometimes and sometimes an education, it's sometimes not, you know, how to create something that offers a rich visual world so that an audience will actually take delight in actually watching it. Because at the end of the day, film is a visual medium. And if people don't want to stop and look at it, they might not watch it at all. And it's a visual world where the visuals are just so hybridized in such a, a unique way. Like the dancer's not modeling a costume. The dancer is moving with this costume. Like the costume was, you can tell that the movement really was in development or in dialogue with the design of this costume. Definitely. Yeah. It's a great marriage of the elements for sure. And that's why I'm not surprised that the dancer is also the choreographer in this case, because there's just such a great melding together of elements here. Just everything feels, it really is like going to another world. And when you look at the technical elements, it's absolutely um, top notch for sure. Jumping into our second pick, Claire, you were the one that brought this to the table. So why don't you introduce it? Yes, so our second pick today is the short film Zombies, which is a production of a Belgian Congolese rapper named Bologi. Now, this film is a 14-minute, I hesitate calling it a music video. It's I mean, more along the lines of a visual album, but it's a visual album that's very much a commentary on societal relationship with technology. Now, this is not necessarily represented literally throughout the film. There are some places that do represent that literally. We have, we actually see a club scene where we see people on tablets and uh, phones like taking selfies. We even see like selfie sticks that kind of act as an extension of the human body and people even dancing in VR headsets. It's taken literally in some places and then further on into the film, it gets more surrealistic. There isn't any hard and fast interpretation for this. And understandably, a lot of the imagery we see does come from, is sort of like this mixture of modern interpretations or modern technological interpretations of classic Congolese dress, as well as one dictator who's very much a proxy for Joseph Mobutu, who was um, a dictator for a long time when the country was called Zaire. Lots of history, lots of ongoing history, specifically in that city of Kinshasa. First of all, the visual style is, I almost want to say it's all over the place, but also is very contained as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we see these, as I mentioned, these um, modern interpretations of traditional dress, but we also see moments where someone will be in a t-shirt and the back of the t-shirt says, you know, this person has left the group. I love that moment. Yeah. <laughs> I really do love that moment. 
something this film made me think of. Well, first of all, I was like, Kate, probably everybody needs to see this because there's just so many, like on every level, like music, design, content, message, the dance movement, like the quality of like the cinematography, the editing, like just everything about it, I feel like people need to see this and thank you for <laughs> introducing us to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, but it made me think of this film that we screened last year was like a short doc called Michesa Nugoma. And one of the, it was about the Habanahaba festival in, in Tanzania. And the one director, I wish, I wish I could remember his name. The one director of the, um, of the festival was saying that, you know, con- it was about contemporary dance. And he was saying, you know, what is contemporary dance? Like we celebrate traditional African movement, but also contemporary and, you know, trying to celebrate a fusion of the two. And I think that this, I like want to send this to them and say, have you seen this film? Because this is such a cool example of you see elements visually and with the movement and design wise and setting, of course, of traditional culture and stuff that you wouldn't see in a dance film like made in Los Angeles or New York, for example, you know, or Berlin or like any of those big dance film cities. And here it comes together in a way that feels very contemporary at the same time. And it totally has this like music video aesthetic. It's I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I love how this film brings a lot of just cultural stuff in general to the table of um i mean with social media obviously being a big part of it and the words i think i i'm really glad that this film featured captions because some of the imagery of their costumes speaks to what they're saying i mean specifically in the dance hall where they're like wearing vr sets i just think of the ar reality that i think a lot of us live in sometimes when we're like just kind of like addicted to social media and I recently have given myself a social media detox which has given me a whole feeling of happiness in general it's so good and it's just funny just watching it from this now like kind of detached (laughs) social media um, persona just the look of them wearing the VR sets you know, just gave me like this weird, like, oh my gosh, like I definitely have been in that, you know, that headspace. I mean, even though I'm not wearing a VR headset, but it's just like the addiction of just being in this, like looking through the screen and being kind of like force fed what is presented to you. As well as like just uh, some of the other outfits in that scene with like the beekeeper suits even though like it's strange that they're wearing that but to me it's kind of like no matter what you're wearing you're kind of making yourself seen in some kind of way because you're wearing this outfit of identity well that also gave me the idea of the hive mind you know and of people like always being busy bees and like us being so caught up in our busyness that we don't see the reality beyond it so i i kind of saw those beekeepers as like these creepy figures like these wardens over the people that are so absorbed in their screens almost looks like they're wearing their vr set as like their glasses i mean the whole impression i got from the film was sort of constructing this as one big liminal space so neither here in the present nor there in the digital just somewhere 
in between. And with a lot of these designs and these costumes, it looks like it's somewhere in between. And it's really interesting reading up the inspiration uh, about this film from the uh, the rapper. And now Bologi is actually based in Belgium, but he was born in the Congo. During the process of creating this, he mentioned that he is one of those people that he doesn't really feel he belongs either in the place he was born or the place that he eventually settled. Oh, sing it. Yeah. And it's also one of those things where is another thing he was reflecting on the use of social media specifically in Africa and even among communities of uh, that underprivileged communities. Uh, one of his big inspirations for the scene at the end with the like the the trash heap was seeing a bunch of you know migrants holding up their phones searching for a signal. And it's at the place where that so, you know, social media has the power and almost has made it a necessity for for living in a way and a necessity that it that requires uh you know that has a price over everyone's head in a way to me i felt like the garbage at the very end with i mean he's wearing like a mask and then we have the whole text credit suite sequence which is so great and there's like someone laying on the ground and spoiler they're dead but I mean to me it kind of just made me think of like it's not just like finding service but it's just like kind of this thought of it's all garbage in the end like everything that we're kind of ingesting is like junk food and this is all junk and it's so saturated that you know it just gets lost in the mix of all of it. Well, it's junk, but it also has the potential for connection. Like there is a huge movement in Africa. I mean, I don't necessarily want to speak for the whole for, for continent as a whole, but there's a online social movement among um, many African countries called ODK, which is an idea of sort of a, like a unified African front to of using dance to confront social issues. And really do it in a way that only exclusively exists in this liminal space and doesn't really have a, much of a manifestation in um, the present day. And I also saw this film as sort of this, you know, what, well, what if, what if that space existed right here in the streets? That would be, it's sort of like the, all the, you know, the beauty and the horror of the internet, like just right in front of your eyes. I think image in general for this work, I mean, definitely plays the part, you know, just like this whole thought of social media and just the identity and who we think people are and perceive them as going back to the very end. Like you, no one thought that I could do this in the text credit, you know, like they didn't believe that I could do this all on my own. It's interesting to look at that lens on the outside when we're just, if anything, anybody could be BSing on the internet. It's all about flaunting what you have in that very moment. I mean, that's that's what the mediated reality is about the social media in general is like we're only seeing the good in all of this and in this circumstance it's kind of like you see the good and the bad and the reality moment of the now 
and that that all said, I don't want to miss the opportunity to recommend that people watch The Social Dilemma. Oh, yes. Um, it is a great film that talks about how, you know, social media is not a tool. It's not an inanimate thing that's there for your use. Um, you know, if it's free, if the product is free, you are the product. So being more educated on how we actually use these platforms, what permissions they have is super important as well. And I just love that films can... You know, the very same smartphone I was maybe watching this on uh, is the same thing that I need to be conscious of my relationship to. And, you know, even like when we saw a film like Letter from Slovenia talking about the cultural effects of of YouTube culture and dance, isn't it amazing that we're seeing this film from Africa where... You know, they're coping with some of the same issues as us. It's like tech addiction and having a skewed reality. And it's just interesting how people can live very different lives but still be affected by similar technologies. And I also want to mention that this is a film made in Kinshasa in the Congo, made by a Congolese-born director. So I just wanted to give shout-out to that. It's not like an Anglo-Euro filmmaker going and creating yeah um a projected view of of the city well i wish that we could just keep talking about these films and even more films like i mean how difficult was it to even just narrow down to two i do have a couple honorable mentions since we are talking about design and costumes today um and there's some films we didn't have time to deep dive into but they definitely deserve some recognition uh, anything by the Seaweed Sisters, I think we can all agree, uh, is an excellent example of True design um, as character and story, particularly color-wise. Um, anything by Jess and Morgs, you know, Cinderella Games, Curing Albrecht, their films have this like Wes Anderson aesthetic that is really satisfying and similar to Love Songs for Robots just would make like a non-dance person stop scrolling. Mm-hmm. And two more that I want to mention are Color of Reality, which was John Boog's and Lil Buck's collaboration with Alexa Mead. So they're like painted and just like the design and the the way that that texture adds to the film is super cool. But I think we deep dove on that one last season. We did last season. We talked about that on our global global perspectives episode. And then the last one is Digital Afterlives, which was a film by Physical TV Company. And of course, Digital Afterlives, but you already heard us gush about that film from Physical TV Company. Um, my husband, in three seconds, noticed those Jeremy Scott kicks, which I, of course, did not notice. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's a film that certainly has a striking look and creates a total world. But we don't get to deep dive into every single film we love and we don't get to talk to every single filmmaker that we would like to but sometimes we do and sometimes we pick one and we make it happen so for today's episode we had the privilege of talking to rodrigo rocha campos and here is that interview let's take it away today's episode we really want to focus on how the visual and sonic elements facilitate portraying character environment. And I think that's something that your films do really well. Um, you know, in cinema, we have this term, uh, the auteur, who has like an oeuvre of work where you can mm -hmm. see within five seconds, you know it's that person's film, you know that it has recurring elements. And I, I do find that your body of work is like this. I know within a few seconds that I'm watching a film made by you. 
Um, some of those elements are like really elevated production value, um, really evident collaboration. So what's something that you can speak to from your own approach? Because I would say you're more about quality and less about quantity. You don't have 50 films, you have five works, you have um, a very specific body of work. So what can you speak to about your approach in general to all that you've created so far? Okay, wow, it's a great question. Let's kind of like figure out this best answer. I, I think I will trace back when I was studying film production and I was visiting, uh, like in my early career, I was visiting sets and the moment that I would see the production design elements and the set dressing and the props and the wardrobe, I'll be like, wow, where, did, where do they get this stuff? So it was not the lights, it was not the camera, but it was the world that they were creating. And the elements come from so many different places. It's not like, okay, we'll just go in this store, we get everything. Now you have to kind of scramble so many different places. They could be completely different from each other and you get one item here, one item there, and then some you transform, some you create from zero. But anyways, so I'll, I'll be mesmerized by the um, art department because I like at that moment, I was like, I'm entering, I'm, I'm inside of a film right now. And it's because of the elements that I can see and that we can photograph. So I was very impressed by production design because the elements were so unique and stuff that we don't see necessarily like every day. So I think that kind of had an impression on me. And even though I kind of ended up uh, going towards cinematography because I, I needed to be by the camera, I needed to be like carrying the camera and making sure the camera was running properly, this and that. I was always, I was, I, will, I would always drool along myself watching the production design and watching the art department. So I think once I started like creating my own content, I, I was very much into bringing my ideas and finding elements and finding objects that when you put together, you create a world. And that's what I love. I love that. And isn't it interesting that the thing that made you fall in love with, it sounds like, you know, cinema and with, with production is that, that visual um, immersive element that you actually do so well in your own films and shines through. So I just think that's really interesting. I think that normally that's kind of what happens. We have our, our passion and our entry point for something. And then that becomes, whether we're conscious of it or not, that's something that we really prioritize. And I think your films really do that so well. Oh, thank you. I love that you have really written about your work. I think that's something that, you know, me included, like a lot of people uh, need to do that and write more about their work and offer their perspective while it's fresh and really, um, you know, da both dance and film are extremely collaborative and something that I think helps make these projects so strong is the fact you have such an incredible team that you as in a teacher position, you're really um, molding this, this next generation of filmmakers. So What's something that you've really learned consistently or something that comes up like every production or every year that you're like, wow, this is really an essential lesson if you're going to be in this sort of work or doing this sort of thing? Well, I think the part that I learned the most is, um, is like when I collaborate with other uh, crew members, 
uh, it, I need to kind of provide a, a healthy environment for everyone to grow. And once I start seeing how they operate, what kind of thought process they use and uh, the elements, whatever, uh, all the knowledge that they have, when they start bringing uh, to set and asking me questions and should we do this, should we do that? And I start understanding their point of view. It's, it's fascinating because anything that is related to creativity is fascinating to me. So I love to kind of, uh, you know, feed from that kind of, you know, knowledge and uh, the kind of uh, thought process. So regardless if it's from production design, or if it's coming from the sound design, or if it's coming from the, the dancers, every time that I see how they operate and they, and they share that uh, process with me, it's contagious, right? And and it's and it's interesting also. Like is when I like I leave the room and I leave people there discussing about my work. It's kind of weird. Like it's like oh my god, they are really into. They are dissecting. I better I better do all my work. I cannot disappoint my crew, so I better do my work as well. So it's not. It's just strange sometimes. <laughs> totally. What is something that you do? Like, what's part of your uh, unique process as you're developing a work uh, specifically related to production design? Like, how do you divvy up those responsibilities and what do you make sure uh, is happening so that things do keep moving in a direction that you'd like? Well, I love to do my own research. I, I think uh, it's fascinating, like, as I start, like, digging in the Internet or from books or from, you know, other sources. Uh, I love to do this own work myself, even though I will have a production designer, I will have a set dresser, I will have, you know, um, uh, either a wardrobe person or a costume designer, you know, it all depends on the project, but I will have all those um, crew members kind of helping me. And um, for me, I have to kind of start somewhere. And then once I have like a ballpark, what I want, then I give all that kind of, you know, messy material, I'll give to the designer. And I say, this is sort of like the environment, you know, I am drawn to, this is sort of like the items I, I need to have because, you know, they, they are being, uh, they are written on the script. So I, I know you have to have like, you know, uh, certain elements. I love elements, rope, fabric, paint, plastic, um, you know, and so on. I love elements because I, when I put those elements into story, then I can make my visuals kind of stand out, make it very cool, artistic and use the lighting and the frame. So it, almost like it turns into, you know, different characters of the film, right? So it's, so I love that component. I like, it's, it's, it's my, it's like my creative input, right? But I, I have to give all that messy work to someone else. And then I think they kind of help put like in order and with some, some logic and like how we are going to achieve this. And then, you know, and then we, we start like working towards, you know, execution. I love that. And the great thing about the way that you actually use these elements is not just that they have a great textural quality, it really does show a level of thought and preparation. Um, budget uh you know it it shows a level of planning there's also some depth not some there is also depth to it 
um, they're not hollow symbols. You're not just like, oh, this looks cool. So I'm going to address my dancers in this. There's always some sort of message. What's, what's the kind of the deeper symbolism or the impetus behind uh, using those elements? What, what do you as an artist uh, think that they convey? Um, I think I was drawn to use those elements because when I was in school, I was studying art history and I was kind of going through so many different artists and, you know, seeing like their, you know, kind of traits and things that they kind of repeat. And I think I was really drawn by this particular artist that he, um, he loves to wrap everything in fabric and rope. Right. So, um, you know, crystal and, um, and I, I, I don't know if there was something fascinating about wrapping, uh, you know, the object with some sort of like fabric or just an, a shroud and then tying some, you know, uh, cord to give some sort of shape. So we know exactly what's inside. Well, we suggest what's inside, but all that had like uh, an influence in me. And, and I don't know, I don't know if it's, you know, it's something I use because it takes me to like a surreal mindset. Like I, I can't explain, but I'm very drawn. And that's why I kind of use this theme over and over because there's something uh, very, very, very close to me, very special to me. Um, you know, maybe it's a protection, maybe it's an armor, maybe it's, it's the, the fact that when we review what's inside, uh, you know, is you peeling the outer armor and revealing the essence. There's so many things behind that, but um, yeah, I, <laughs> I torture my dancers sometimes. <laughs> it's probably a very memorable experience. I know that my dance, my dance memories that are related mm -hmm. to interesting costume and props are definitely more pronounced than some of the others. Yeah, and then for movement number three. Uh, we decided to incorporate again the this this idea of wrapping the, the the characters in you know in some sort of like ribbon or rope, and um, and then because you know the two characters they they really descend to hell right it's like that their energy starts like with it starts with competition and the competition gets so aggressive that they you know basically go to a, like a negative you know space. And, um, and we thought, okay, what if we wrap their heads and wrap their bodies with this rope material? So uh, it makes them even more vulnerable because if they can see or speak or, or yell, I think it's more, it's, it's like it hits you like in a guttural, guttural way. So we decided to, um, you know, in this kind of particular narrative, we decided to wrap the the brother we decided to wrap his head but just leave his eyes out so he, he could express with his eyes all the torture and the pain and while the sister we wrap mostly her mouth and uh i'm sorry we wrap mostly her eyes so her mouth was exposed and if she couldn't see where she was so that for me it's like oh i got goosebumps but she could yell, she could scream. So we did like sort of like a, you know, a contrast between the two characters. So they're not wrapped in the same way. There's a little bit of, a, you know, like, like layers to, to yes. the idea. Yeah.
And it really is that it's not just a cool visual thing or a, a decision. You know, I quickly found out as I started teaching and producing that a lot of productions are just a series of decisions. And, mm -hmm. you know, the more mindful you can be about those decisions, the more you can really elevate your work. And the way that you've made those decisions, even to have them not having the same part of their face available or constricted, just adds so much to the story just in one glance. And that's so powerful, such an amazing visual language. What's something yeah. that you suggest for anyone that's crafting their film and really <laughs> want to elevate their production design or costume design or something they can do visually. Um, what's some advice you have for them? I, I think one thing I'm hearing from you is do a lot of research, get inspired, um, obviously collaborate with people that are really good at what they're doing. And I think have an intention, you know, right. but what's, what, what advice do you have specifically for anyone mm -hmm. embarking on a new creative venture? Mm -hmm. Well, everything that I do, I try to do it for a reason. So it's not like, okay, we are just wrapping their faces that way because you know, it looks visually interesting. I mean, it, it all goes back to story. It goes goes back to the emotions that I'm trying to 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 create. So it, it has to fit something bigger as opposed to just be visually incredible. So everything that I use goes back to story or goes back to emotion. So it's one of the two. And I think that is the most important because I can use anything. I can use, instead of the rope, I can use the plastic or I can use the, the you know, the, the fabric or I can use a paint or whatever. But I will kind of, uh, you know, give that material to the dancer to workshop and then say, okay, this is important because it gives us a, a, a specific tone. It will give us a spe specific atmosphere. It is going to give us a specific narrative. What is the meaning behind, you know, I want the, the audience to discover. I don't want to say everything, right? I want the audience to discover. I want the audience to say, why is the, is the sister pulling a string out of the mouth of the brother? What is the meaning of that, right? So I want people to kind of, you know, you know, like go to different parts of their brain trying to get an answer and, you know, it could be a little different from every person. It, it, it doesn't matter. I'm fine with that. And the beautiful thing is no matter how specific you might try to be, let's say you were someone who wanted to be super controlling. It means exactly this. Guess what? Everyone watching that is going to get a different view of it. So yes. you're really leaning yeah. into that where you're like, you know what? Everyone is going to get something different. So I'm going to be specific in my way and I'm going to release it out into the world. Yes, it totally, totally, it's totally like that. It's, also, it's something that I get when I go to see a live performance. When I see it like a live dance performance, those ideas, those details, I don't get an answer. It's not written anywhere, right? I have to kind of connect the dots. And maybe, you know, my friend that is next to me is kind of like figuring out and going in a different direction. Who knows, right? But I like this idea that we are constructing the meanings. We are trying to figure out what is happening. And depending on my background, depending what I have seen it, you know, in my life, I will say, oh, I think this is about fear. I think this is about, you know, aggression. I think this is a whatever. But someone next to me might kind of like interpret slightly different, 
right? And and I think it's fine because we are we are letting the subconscious, you know, take the lead. And uh, as long as you take it to a different mindset, a different atmosphere, and you give all sorts of uh, emotions to the audience, I think I'm doing something. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think something that dance does really well is emotion. And something that film or cinema does very well is gives you a little more control. And it also allows you to really manipulate and transform dance in a way you can't in a live performance. So as dance film, screen dance people, uh, we all come from a different background. Most of us have multiple interests, whether it's like someone that was a composer that found their way into film or a dancer mm -hmm. that started discovering video. What's your unique entryway um, into starting to use more dance and thusly inspiring your students to explore mm -hmm. dance as an element in filmmaking? It was solely a fluke. <laughs> I like, like I, it's I, a pretty good like, fluke. <laughs> it it's a, a fluke that's one. worked out. <laughs> right? Um, I, I started this by accident. I was not going after uh, thinking, I'm going to make a career in screen dance. It was nothing like that. It was basically... Um, I, I wanted to have a space that I could um, voice out my ideas, my creativity. So I got together with another filmmaker and we were like trying to figure out what to do. And at that point, I was I was thinking like just, OK, it's going to be a narrative short film. We'll just have to kind of cast some actors. Da, da, da. And then that evolved or like went to a different direction. And I was like, oh, but there's something called screen dance, dance films. And I'm thinking, oh, let's, let's just check what that's all about. So I, I, of course, I started seeing like some, um, you know, some examples online. I mean, I had seen it before, but I started like really looking into it. And then I started visiting some screen dance festival. Wow, it's legit. It exists. So I think I'm like, oh, let's just give it a try. You know, then I don't have to deal with uh, writing dialogue because it's maybe it's not my strength to kind of write dialogue. Dialogue's but, so uh, awkward to write. <laughs> we do write dialogue, but it's just like it's it's behind the meaning. <laughs> no, but the dialogue that we create in screen dance, it's there, but it's just like it's no it's it's non-verbal, right? But I was talking about like the, the verbal dialogue that sometimes you um you know you have to okay, let's kind of make sure that uh, this sounds good or it, it's meaningful. So I was like, no, I don't have to write any dialogue, which is great and uh, and I don't have to deal with um, I don't have to deal with recording sound on set because it complicates things but the interesting thing about the sound it was also that um, after the third one after my third film I decided to kind of make films less music video approach which I I think that sometimes the soundtrack comes first and then you just use that to play back and then everything revolves about that the track and then becomes the script and everything is we, we cut around you know the music everything is just goes around the music track right on the fourth and fifth one I decided to change and basically there was no music track there was no track at all and we are just doing either playback of a temp track or not playing back at all. Like number four, there was no playback on set, which is the most weird thing. And and then um, I started like focusing on the post sound 
of things and it opened up a world for me that I loved it because I started using more sound effects and Foley, which I fell in love with the, the, the process of Foley. So basically, right? So everything was redesigned and re-recorded -re and the audio quality is a million times better because, you know, you can do sound by sound, noise by noise, effect by effect. And, uh, and you don't have the issue of getting, uh, you know, sort of like hiss or poor sound quality on set. And maybe, you know, the, the, the environment has a lot of external noise or the microphone cannot get close to that. Who knows, right? So I start like emphasizing the sound component in post, which I love it. Totally. As a curator, it really stands out when a film or when something comes through that has all those different elements hitting. You know, it's so true what you said about the, the hierarchy of elements and how often we see, especially now with TikTok being so popular and our post YouTube, you know, dance video boom. Um, you know, it's so often that we do see that music video style where music and maybe lyrics come first. And it's usually a dancer or dancers, a camera and the music. But your films really incorporate all those different elements. I think so many uh, people that are entering dance film or screen dance from more of a dance uh, expertise or a dance lane. They're merging from there versus mm -hmm. from the film side. We're not even thinking about things like, what is Foley? You know, a lot yeah. of us are consumers of media, not producers of a certain kind. And that's why collaboration is so important. And it really comes through in your films that there is this consistent, um, this consistent vision, this cohesive mm -hmm. message that comes across, but <laughs> it's dynamic and it, and it has all those different layers to it. Oh, that's very cool. But thank yeah. you very much. It's not like a, it's not like the process, uh, either like the pre-pro, the development or the principal photography or the post-production It's it's not like none of those, um, areas I encounter massive amounts of, you know, issues or <laughs> who knows, right. It's not like, you know, a, a smooth ride. You never know. Sometimes in, in, in low budget, Right. We we have the impression that at any point the project will just basically come to a stop. Right. It's just like you just have to kind of be very careful and patient and just kind of go one thing at a time. But, yeah, it's it's incredible. And, uh, yeah, there's lots of homework that has to be done. And, you know, if you have people around you that you get along, that you like to work together, and you learn from them, I think you have to make sure that you create an environment that everyone can grow. That's awesome. And I think that's really reflective of the fact you are a teacher. You are someone that is nurturing the next generation. And just thank you on behalf of the world uh, for doing that, because we need that. We need teachers that are not uh, in it for themselves and their own game. We need teachers that are really thoughtful and, and dynamic and have so much to offer. So Vancouver Film School and uh, Vancouver in general is very well served having you there. And we'll have to have you uh, at a dance cinema event uh, once uh, COVID's over and once <laughs> I'm able to go back home and host it um, and things reopen. Um, that would be lovely. But unfortunately, we're almost at the end of our interview time because we do have uh, the second segment of this episode where Hannah, Claire and I are going to rehash everything and uh, mm -hmm. talk, they're going to share their perspective. Um, but before we go, what is something that 
just captures your heart specifically with design? Is there a particular uh, film that you just love the look of or a particular era or school of thought or an artist? Like what are some things that just are so you that just captivate your heart? I don't know. Like, I think it's a tough question. I think this creativity, creativity is what pulls me in. And um, I, I, love to, I love to have a say in everything, but making sure that I give enough space for, for everyone to grow. I, I, can, I, I have to make sure I respect that. But I love having conversations with the makeup person. I love having conversations with wardrobe and props and different you know, areas. And I don't have like a, a favorite film or a favorite era because the moment that you start creating a world, it could be present, future, stylized, realistic. Um, then even like the most like common objects become like special. Like a spinning right? top. Yeah, <laughs> right? like the spinning top, right? Yeah, I try to make sure that I don't fall uh, like in a stereotypical way. I, I, I hate being stereotypical. So if, if I, if I, something I realize that I'm being stereotypical, I catch it. I have to change that because I don't want to be like, oh, that was the first thing I, I thought. You know? It's so, so um, difficult so... to tread that line between archetypal and yep, stereotypical, yep. between iconic and obvious. It's such a difficult line to tread, but I think you do a great job. <laughs> you keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's why I, uh, the spinning top, I I was thinking, what should I give to this female character, uh, you know, so she can interact and at the same time becomes a, like a metaphor that it's her or it's you know, one of the characters. And I thought about, okay, well, let's give like a little ballerina, like a spinning ballerina that we have seen in, in films, right? And I was like, no. That would be like the most stereotypical thing, you know, like I cannot do that to the audience. I cannot do it to myself. So, uh, <laughs> right. So I like, okay, let's figure out like, what can I give, you know, to the, to the, to this character. And then I thought about the spinning top. I thought, oh, this is great because not only, you know, it's a non-stereotypical element that you see that character, you know, dealing with. But it's also uh, very good because it can express a metaphor. It's a lot of brain work. <laughs> Amazing, but it pays off. And I think it really strengthens this mode of communication. You know, uh, it adds that extra layer and it, it makes it the films easier for people to understand. It, it really strengthens what you are trying to say. And thank you for being such a good example that we can point to and that we can just brag on about <laughs> on this show too. Um, so if anyone... Uh, wants to follow Rodrigo's work. It is, we have tons of links in the show notes. So check it out there. And muito obrigado, Rodrigo. Thank you for joining us today. Oh my God, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. Finally get to know you. It was, you know, fantastic. Uh, love to kind of, you know, have this uh, conversation and, and see you for the first time. So I uh, thank you very much for the opportunity and wait to see this, you know, get posted online. <laughs> Jen, thank you so much for leading the interview with Rodrigo, it definitely had so much great things to say about his thought process and creating this, I don't know, it's like a trilogy of, <laughs> a trilogy we would say for Full Circle. Very much like an auteur's trilogy as well. Like like you said, like you, like you, you just see 10 seconds of the film, you know it's Rodrigo's. 
And I think that is kind of the power of design is it is this silent identity that before you see the dance material, before you hear the music or maybe the same time you hear the music, you can right away get a sense for something. And if you're out there and you are a dance filmmaker, uh, you know, veteran, aspiring or otherwise, taking time to focus on the design elements of your project is going to make it very appealing to curators, very appealing to people that might be interested in funding future projects, you know, um, and of course to audience members as well. So we hope that today's episode was inspirational and we, we led you down some good paths with our recommendations. Well, I just wanted to say something about Rodrigo and his work with Full Circle. I mean, the first thing that came to mind was texture. I mean, we see a lot of just layers of, I mean, he was talking about rope and like there's powder in it and just, it it felt like texture, but also tangled was another theme that I was seeing going on. And it's interesting because I saw that the most in the first one where the second one, it was just more of like, you know, when you're trying to untangle it and it feels like you're, and he said sinking, it's like they're going down. And I, thinking when you're untangling something, you are kind of like trying to pull it apart. And that is a pulling sensation of going down. And then in that last section with the third one, with the, I I would assume that they are twins in this sibling situation where there is tangling going on, but it's not, it's not through costume almost. It's kind of just through the body itself. Yeah, it was interesting to see how the elements manifested both physically and thematically throughout all three films. Like with the first film, and Hannah, you nail it like with um, the texture. I felt that su- I felt such a kinesthetic response seeing the close-ups of that twine against the skin, and just you know any and just that specific material and like what kind of what kind of movement would that create? What kind of movement would that constrict? And like, how would you move with and how would you move against it? And similarly with the second film, like we see like these two versions, like really these two versions of like knotted pieces, like one that's very much knotted with the body, like another one that's very much, you know, designed against it and how those, the movement quality differs between them. And the third, like, oh, it felt that the, sort of that that const- that element of constraint or that element of sort of that element of wrapping was more a symbolic in a way with just uh that one um sections of wrapped material around specific sections of the body it really illuminated just how this collaboration of the movement of the design can create a total whole like there aren't like they aren't these separate pieces of the film that are you know working okay, maybe they're there, but we're working independent of each other. Like they really are working to create this total whole of a piece. Yes, I think part of the reason I felt really strongly that we should talk to Rodrigo for this episode on design is that we are really trying to show that it's not, even though it's an important visual element, it's not the whole picture. And when it's at its best, like any of these elements, it is really well integrated into the whole. And I think 
you know, these specific examples that you were you were saying, you know, about like the tangling and the twine and it's like visual. First of all, it serves a person the purpose of like visual ASMR, like the satisfaction of seeing something up close and in detail and being absorbed in it, you know, the pleasure of watching something. But also, you know, it has this purpose. It has this reason for existing aside from the cool visual. It it serves as an enhancement of character or it is a metaphor for conflict or whatever that is in the project. So I think that, you know, we're so lucky we got to talk to the creator himself today about it. But that really just sums up what what a strong design philosophy or approach in your project is going to be is like really integrated into what you're doing. But you know, not just on a practical level, but what's the purpose? What's the meaning behind it? With Rodrigo, he was using things that are practical, which is great because that means like anybody can do this. And I think that's the hardest part with dance films in general. A lot of people um, make these films and they kind of lack on costume. You know, we get a dancer and they look like a dancer and I think the whole purpose of even what Rigo was saying, like, I want them to be a character of some sort. And we definitely feel that I feel most strongest in the second, in part two of the full circle. You definitely see some kind of transformation in the personality of the dancer and you don't think of them as a dancer. And that's one thing I I strive to look at when I'm watching these dance films is like, I kind of forget that they are a dancer you know, it's, they're just a being in the film. And this is probably part of the benefit of collaborating outside of a particular discipline, you know, actually working with people that just work in film in general or work in design in general or work in music to broaden your horizons because without even meaning to, dancers are have a certain perspective based on what we're exposed to. And we have our own view of like, what does dance look like on screen? Or what does a dance video look like? Whereas a filmmaker might say, okay, in this case, you know, especially dance or movement is an element of what I do, but it's not front and center with sequins and rhinestones. I'm so glad that I'm in a period of my life where I don't have to be around that or even <laughs> wear that. I remember those days... It was fun, but also washing glitter out of your hair at the end of the day oh my God, um, yeah. was definitely not fun. Ugh. And and then waking up the next day and it's still not out of your hair because <laughs> you were rolling around in it. Oh, my gosh. And just some of, I mean, it's just triggering memories of just some of the costumes I've had to wear over the years. <laughs> just <laughs> The only reason I'm able to be somewhat sane and still working with dance and with children is the fact that I am part of positive change. Like even with, um, we work with this company, Curtain Call Costumes and all of their costumes, they made it like they did all these different features to make it more appropriate for just sensory sensitivities. But like one of those huge things was having costumes with no like scrapey sequins. Like Mm. they put a layer of fabric and they had the costumes that would still reflect light and look like sequins, but not in contact with the child's skin oh nice so you know and after all costumes are made to be worn by a particular demographic so i don't know if you all have seen that really funny snl um 
we should link this in the show notes. There's an SNL uh, commercial about children's holiday clothing and about how uncomfortable and itchy it is. And the kids are having meltdowns the entire time. Oh and the gosh. parents are like, this will look so nice in the photos. Oh, my gosh. So it's almost like dance costumes can kind of become the equivalent of that where, oh, doesn't it look nice? And it's like, yeah, but when I do a bot bon, uh, my butt cheek falls out or <laughs> these sequins are making me bleed. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and there's versions of that that perpetuate into dance filmmaking because dancers can sometimes be yes people or used to being uncomfortable. And it's really great to see different creative examples and horizons opening up, which I think is one of the cool things about being in this sector of the dance world that we are in, um, you know, the screen dance or the dance film realm is we do see a cool coming together of different communities and people from different disciplines that really do contribute to unique results as we saw really clearly in these episodes, uh, in these examples. Well, fantastic is all I got to say. And I applaud, um, Rodrigo, for being on the show. Thank you so much for coming on and telling us your process and your ideas. We're glad that you were able to do this. But other than that, another episode in the books, I would say. Thank you all. And um, yeah, we will see you next week. Hasta la próxima. Bonjour à tous! Sunday, June 20th is the last day to submit applications for the Screen Dance Production Residency from La Briqueterie. The grant is an opportunity to receive funding for your next dance film. See the link in the show notes to apply. We've said it once and we'll say it again. If you want to share your event on the show, click the link in the show notes to find out how. We're taking submissions for announcements until June 30th, so don't wait. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at frameformpodcast at gmail.com and engage with us on social at frameformpod. That's frameform, P-O-D. If you like what you're hearing, leave a review and rate the show. It really helps out. And if you know someone who also likes dance or film, join the conversation and bring your friends. Frameform is a production of Rixie, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Edited by the Frameform team. Mix and theme song by myself, Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.